Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Colleen Meyer with Meyer Mint LLC, bringing you Fearless in Pink. We have an amazing, awesome guest today. And this is Dr. Andrea Liner Struckman. Did I say your last name correctly? You did. Yes. All right. And she is a licensed clinical psychologist. Yes. Helping people with relational trauma. Welcome, Andrea. Go ahead and tell me a little bit more about relational relational trauma. Yeah, so I um, I just love helping people with relationships because I really feel like relationships are at the core of who we are and what we do. Um, even biologically, you know, we are programmed to be social creatures. So mm-hmm. um, the relationships that we have with, you know, early caretakers, with our romantic partners, with our friendships, and even with ourselves, ultimately, I think dictates how our life goes. So um, I got very interested in relationships and couples work and worked a lot with young adults in my training years. And um, one of the things that was coming up a lot for people were breakups. Mm -hmm. And I was included in that. I was in graduate school from 21 to 25. So prime ages for relationships and breakups. So I was going through some of my own. I was helping clients through theirs and um, just started specializing in kind of what that impact can be on people and how to help people through that. With relationship trauma, so I understand break the breaking up, but it, could it also be um, relationship with parents, relationship with you know um, friends? Because you know sometimes you know you you're so close with just even if you're just friends that mm-hmm. can create um, you know personality differences and some trauma. Do you see a lot of that also? I do, I do, and. I'm being careful about using the word trauma because okay. trauma is more in my psychology practice um, where trauma is something that really needs to be addressed by licensed clinicians. Whereas in my, some of my new work, more in the coaching world, which I'll talk about later, um, we don't go into trauma land as much, but I always like to um, clarify for people. And this is, we talk about this all day long in my field, but not everybody knows. We talk about different types of trauma. There's big T trauma and little T trauma. And it can definitely be traumatic when you are dealing with whether it's a friendship, a parent, a boss, a coworker, or a romantic partner. If there's mistrust, betrayal, um, anything that kind of goes against your boundaries, things like that can be very traumatic and can start to form how you view yourself, how you view the world, and how you want to handle relationships moving forward. So there can definitely be ripple effects that we would consider to be traumas. Let me ask you a question because you just made me think of something. What about when someone's in a relationship, maybe they haven't broke up, but they're in a relationship with somebody that might be like narcissistic. Do you Mm -hmm. see a lot of that in your coaching? Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of the time, what it ends up being, I work with very high achieving, um, very personable, charismatic, successful people. And oftentimes when, when they come to me, they're like, this, this, this relationship and the, the effect of it on me isn't making sense based on how I am, based on how I live my life. I don't understand how I've gotten swept up into all this drama, all of this emotion, um, questioning myself. This was never, this was never who I was before. And more often than not, it's because they're dealing with a partner who um, we hear, you know, narcissistic tossed around a lot and sometimes it's hard to say whether like they truly are diagnostically narcissistic but that general vibe of that toxicity that controlling nature that 
making you question, gaslighting you on even small things. Like, no, you said we were meeting at six, not seven. Oh, I did. I feel crazy now. Um, Those type things happen all the time. Now, gaslighting, do you want to share with that, what that term means? Yes. Yes. So I wish I had reminded myself um, the specific origin. So it it gets its name kind of from a movie that I think is many, many decades old now. Um, But the concept is that Gaslighting is when you, you purposely try to make someone misremember or misbelieve their own thoughts, memories, and beliefs. Um, and it's a great way to chip away at someone's autonomy and sense of self. So a controlling person often will gaslight so that you they, they can manipulate you into thinking that they're not manipulating you, that you're the, your problem, that you're causing it, that um, you're misremembering. And it just, it can create all sorts of fractures in your sense of self and ability to trust yourself and other people. If somebody came to you in that situation, what would you say in a broad sense, right? Because everybody's going to be a little bit different. Right. You know, what kind of suggestions do you have with, with, with people? Because what I found, you know, you know, talking to women and and um, actually seeing it in my own family with my oldest daughter, it's, and you, and you see it on faith, like you said, it's that work that's thrown all around a lot. So wh- what would you say would be some of the steps in a general term yeah. to, to dealing with that? Yeah. So this is where my two paths kind of converge a little bit, or converge, I should say, um, where in psychology land and therapy land, it's a lot more about exploring and helping someone come to their own conclusions. Whereas in coaching, it's a lot more directive. So in the therapy world and and where I got my first training was actually at the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, based out of Austin, Texas when I was in college. And we're kind of trained there that you can't just walk into someone who's clearly in an abusive situation and say, you need to leave Mm -hmm. because there has to be that level of readiness. Mm-hmm. So, and, and if you do that prematurely, they're going to see you as a threat and they're going to cut you off and you're going to be further isolated into this bad situation. So it's this delicate dance of, um, just, I, I often just start with asking a lot of questions, you know, does this relationship make you feel generally good or generally bad? Do you feel more at peace when you're with your partner or when you're away from your partner? Um, have you noticed any major life decisions that have strongly veered from what you've always wanted while in this relationship? Um, what do your friends and family think about this relationship? Um, and oftentimes people will say that, you know, their friends don't like the partner, their parents don't like the partner, their siblings don't like the partner. And I'll be like, well, do these people talk to each other? Well, no. Okay. So they all independently came to this conclusion. That's interesting. And okay, maybe with friends, we've got some frenemies or you've got some competition with a sibling or something. But for the most part, do these people have your best interests at heart or do they want to sabotage you? Well, I think they have my best interests at heart. Okay, well, that's something important to to take account of. So kind of starting on that awareness level. Because you're leading them. You're leading, you're helping them to see it for themselves. Yes. You know, and it is hard to tell someone to leave because I think that that the moment that, that they leave, that's, the most dangerous part of that whole, you know, that whole process of disengaging Mm -hmm. with this type of person. Yeah. And we talk a lot in therapy land about meeting people where they're at, which of course is not 
the most grammatically sound sentence, but it makes sense that um, we talk about there's different stages of change. And depending on where someone is, sometimes they're in the position of there's no problem, I don't need to do anything. And sometimes they're, well, this is a bit of a problem, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Or this is a problem and I'd like to learn what my options are for doing something about it. And you kind of have to assess where someone is and, and meet them at that point, because if you meet them at a different point, it's not going to resonate for them. Mm-mm, it's not, it's not. So let's stick, let's go back to when you first started and the, going down this road of um, becoming a doctor and then you in, in and coaching. If you can go back and talk to the Andrea of that time period, what would you do differently or what would you, if anything, and then what would you say to her? Oh, such a good question. I've been thinking about this because we are coming up on the 10 year anniversary of when I started graduate school. Um, so all of my girlfriends from graduate school and I were talking like, Oh, we've been friends for 10 years now. This is insane. And gosh, thinking back, I think I would have told, I would, the thing I would do differently is that I would have been a little more accepting of the ways that I am naturally and my personality is naturally a little bit different than the um, typical psychology teachings. Um, you know, I was trained very traditionally, very psychoanalytically, a lot of big old school Freud stuff. So um, traditionally in that way, the therapist has a blank facial expression and doesn't emote and doesn't react and is just this blank slate for projection from clients and patients. And I'm a big bubbly personality. And I spent a lot of years trying to squash that a little bit to fit that mold. And then I realized, no, this is my superpower. This is why people seek me out. They don't want that, you know, white bearded man who's not reacting to them at all. They want someone they can relate to. So I think I would, I would, I would have changed that. And I probably would, that's what I would tell myself that there's room for you as you uniquely are in this field to make a difference. I love that because I think that when we try to be somebody who we're not, people can sense that it's not real. Yes. And if they don't think you're real, they're not going to trust you. Yes. And, and I, to be honest, I would totally want a bubbly person than a white bearded <laughs> gentleman with a straight face and tell, tell me, how are you feeling about this? Because I think if you go see any coach, any doctor, whether it's MD or, you know, or in, the, in the mental health field, therapist, whoever it is, you want to know that they, they care about what you're saying, that they care about your situation, mm-hmm. that they're hearing you. And Absolutely. yeah, and exactly. And so I think that's, that's a, that was a, a thumbs, two thumbs up for you on that. <laughs> Thank you. Now let's talk about, I know school, because we've both been through um, so you know, a lot of education. What made you make that crazy step to get in your, your doctorate? Yeah. So for me, things kind of just happened a little bit. Um, and this is always the funny part of telling my story that I don't know, this might not relate to a lot of people, I'm not sure, but, um, but really growing up, I was a very strange kid and I loved going to the dentist. So I always thought I wanted to be a dentist. This is probably because I didn't have a cavity until I was 30 years old. 
<laughs> um, but I just, my whole life, I, that's just what I decided. And you know how kids can glom on to an idea. So I didn't even consider anything else. And, um, I did kind of shift once I had braces, I wanted to be an orthodontist. So, you know, we did have some movement there, but, um, I went to school and I started for that and I hated it. I hate like all the science classes. I went to a huge university, university of Texas in Austin. Um, so I had like 500 person chemistry classes that just were not getting through to me. And I was feeling like a failure all the time. Um, and then I had kind of some, you know, social stuff going on and I was just like, I was unhappy. And I realized that the things that were the most interesting to me were my human behavior classes, my human biology classes, things about the brain and my psychology electives. So then I remembered, oh, there's a whole career you can make of just talking to people and learning their stories and figuring out why they do the things that they do. So I decided, and you can't really do much with a psychology undergraduate degree. So I knew I would have to do something else. So when I switched, um, I immediately just started looking into graduate schools and focused on ones that uh, not less the research side and more the practicing side. So it just kind of fell into place a little bit. But I think that's amazing because we have to follow our passion. And you're probably a lot happier now than if you were a dentist or orthodontist. I think so. <laughs> but let's talk about your field. Yeah. So let's talk about who inspired you. Was it Skinner? Was it Freud? Was it so? Who, who inspired you when you're going through school and you're learning about all these theories? Who was it? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, obviously a lot of great people paved the way, but there's this one psychologist that I think if anyone listening happens to go to or have gone to George Washington University PsyD program, you can confirm for me. We are all obsessed with Nancy McWilliams is her name. Um, and she is a psychodynamic um, psychologist based out of, I think she's in Princeton. Um, Princeton area, or I think she teaches at Rutgers, but I'm forgetting where she practices. Anyway, she has a bunch of books that we read throughout graduate school. And it was the first time that I had read or heard, and I actually got to meet her in an elevator at a conference once. I was so awkward. Um, But she, the way she talks about psychology and therapy with people, it's like, she cares so much. This is not just a sterile clinical relationship where you're in the door, out the door, and I never think about you again. She cares the way she conceptualizes, the way she puts things together. This client mentioned this one thing about their childhood and this thing is going on for them at 45 years old. And here's a connection that makes so much sense when she says it, but I never would have thought of. Yes. <laughs> it's just incredible. So Nancy, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> hey, wouldn't that be fun if we can get Nancy on this podcast? Oh my gosh. She's, I would love that. I would be so excited. She's fantastic. <laughs> so let's talk about um, your switch a little bit with your coaching. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about the coaching, your coaching yeah. side of it. So as I referenced before, there, there's a lot about the psychology field that I don't resonate with. And that doesn't really feel like a fit for me and my personality type. Um, and there are a lot of rules in place for very good reason. I mean, all the rules that we have are because there were situations that arose where it was apparent those rules. That's right. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of it has become so constraining over time. And I was finding that a lot of the people I was working with and the people I enjoyed working with the most, they don't necessarily meet diagnostic criteria for anything. It's not that they necessarily have major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety or, or trauma, but they're going through normal life things, normal life transitions that we all go through when they're having a reaction and needing a little support. 
And I was finding that psychology was just a little bit too narrow for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the coaching world, and I have, I have my beef with coaching too, which I can talk about, but one of the wonderful things is how unregulated it is. This is also mm-hmm. a problem with it, but um, in coaching, you can see people from anywhere in the world. It doesn't have to be your state that you're licensed in. Um, you can work with people on a wide variety of issues. Um, insurance doesn't tend to cover coaching, which does make it cost prohibitive for some people, but there's no parameters on, oh, we'll only cover this diagnosis for this many sessions. Oh, we'll only cover 20 minute sessions, not 50 minute sessions. Like you're not dealing with any of that. Mm-hmm. So coaching was a cool way um, when I kind of wrapped my head around it um, because there's a bit of a divide, you know, among therapists and coaches sometimes, um, but this is a viable option. This is something I can do to become more accessible and impact more people on a larger scale. Um, you know, that's really important what you just said, because I was doing a buyer persona for one of my clients and it was in this similar field. And what I found in my research that a lot of, um, people that are maybe middle to lower socioeconomics mm-hmm. or um, people of color are less likely to go to a psychiatrist because mm-hmm. of this stigma. stigma. But even though that's changing, yes. that's, you know, that's changing for the good, mm-hmm. but there's no stigma saying, I'm going to go see a coach. Right. I mean, actually you get this, right? You get two thumbs up. I got to go see a coach. Yes. Yes. And do you feel that that's, that's a big, a big shift for people to come to you because of that, the word coach, rather than the word psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever, they perceive that to be bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there have been a lot of people mistreated by the formal mental health system. Um, There's a fantastic person. Her name's Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram. She has millions of followers um, and a New York Times bestseller list um, book that recently came out. And she just recently did a thread where people were submitting stories of just the ways they had been wronged by traditional uh, psychologists and therapists and I mean, it's stuff that I can't imagine how these people ever got licensed for doing these things. It, 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 it hurts me. And so I can't imagine doing that to a client, even in the therapy role. But I think there, there are a lot of people that the coaching world just seems more accessible to them. Um, and anything based on academia, you know, has that kind of systemic um, racism issues and things where it's mostly powerful older white people calling all the shots and coaching's kind of this new world where you can just pop on and do it. Um, so it feels more accessible to people in that way too. And I love that because it gives people freedoms to say, I need help. Where do I go? And what, like you said, he, over on this side, it's very narrow. It's this, we're going to talk about this. Sometimes people are just going through a rough patch yes. and they just need to get over that patch and then they're fine. Yes. You know what I mean? So, how, you know, an emotional breakup, you know, uh, a death of somebody, uh, you know, all kinds of different things that people would come to a coach for to help them through that. We don't want to say trauma. What do we want to say if we don't use trauma? Um, struggles, issues. Yeah. I love that struggles. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I will say, so one of the things that I'm really excited to be bringing to the table um, is because I'm a certified clinic coach, which everyone's like, what the hell is that? Um, it's a new thing. That's why no one knows what it is. But in the coaching world, one of my qualms with it is how unregulated it is. That That's wonderful in terms of accessibility, but it also means that there's a, a good chunk of the coaches out there. They literally wake up one day and decide, oh, I went through a hard time. I could probably coach people through that. And they become a coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are some people who are just very naturally gifted and intuitive and good with these type things, but you can't guarantee that. So the, the certified clinic coach designation um, is now a new thing that um, Katie Reed is a clinician who spearheads this. Um, for people who have clinical training, clinical experience, are licensed therapists, but want to break into this coaching world. So you're getting someone who has the flexibility of coaching with the knowledge and training of a formal therapist. Well, to me, you are bringing all of this stuff. It's like a, this, you know, the education, the licensing, you know, you're bringing all the, so much more to people. Now, when you do your sessions, do you do them, you know, let's say, say somebody in Nevada mm-hmm. and I know you're, you're in the East coast, right? Uh, Colorado. Oh, that's right. So what would that be? Central time. Uh, mountain time. Mountain time. Yep. So somebody, let's try, let's pick it a different state from Florida uh-huh. or somewhere and they want to have a session with you. You can do that. No problem through Zoom like we're talking right now. Exactly. Exactly. And with psychology land, you know, oftentimes I'll get people who call me and they're out of my, my state of licensure. So I, I have to say no, which is unfortunate. But you can coach. I can coach. Yes. So that's, that's part of why it started happening too. I was getting some requests from people in other States because I have, I've networks in, in many places and people think like, you should talk to Dr. Andrea and I'm sorry, I'm only licensed in Colorado. So, um, so that's part of the, the, the appeal. Now, so let's say somebody wants to get a hold of you. How would they do that? Yeah. Best way is email. Um, and that's just hello at drandrealiner.com. Um, Instagram that. also, <laughs> um, Instagram, I'm trying to build there. I think actually, if I could go back in time to answer your first question, I, I would have started doing more social media stuff earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't because I was so worried what my colleagues would think about it, but the people who did start a couple years ago are making big impact now. So mm-hmm. I'm catching up. Um, so follow me on Instagram, uh, <laughs> at Dr. Andrea Liner with dots between the names, um, and those are the best ways to reach me. Do you have a website they can go to? I do. It's in progress. So right now it is just a little landing page, um, but it's drandrealiner.com, just drandrealiner.com. Um, and on there, you can get access to my free breakup first aid guide um, and be added to my email list, which I barely ever send anything out because I hate getting emails. So I promise I won't spam you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh- all right. Thank you, uh, Dr. Andrea, for coming and being a guest here on Fearless in Pink. We appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me.